Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Lindell Rising, and I'm excited to be filling in this week for Bart Sheridan. Today we're talking with Tom Hutchison about Jesus' battle with Satan in our continuing series in the book of Matthew. Hutch, thanks so much for unpacking the story. I know I've heard it many times, the whole temptation of Jesus and how he battled Satan, but I'm not really sure I understood the true message of what Matthew was communicating there. Well, good. I'm really glad it was helpful. It was good reminders and good challenges for me to dig back into the passage as well. Um, I think often when we look at the temptation, we look at them on the surface, turning mm-hmm. s- turning the stones into bread, for example, and then we do kind of wonder, what is the temptation? But when you really start to dig at what he was really challenging Jesus to do, that is to doubt the Father's goodness and turn away from him and take his own future into his hands rather than trusting the Father's plan, it suddenly does take on a very yeah. different light that I think all of us can relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at the beginning, you kind of contrasted you know, how the, all of the different generations of what Genesis was saying and what was going on mm-hmm. and then what Matthew was saying and it always seemed like Satan was winning. And I feel like that's still happening now. And you, you know, even what was going on right now in our world, right now, today, Satan is still winning. Sometimes I feel really discouraged by that. And, you know, how do you hold on to the hope in the midst of the fact that just Satan just seems to keep winning? Yeah. And I've been advised in the past and, um, and reflected that there, it really when we start talking about Satan and Satan's work, there's two dangers that we need to avoid. Um, one of those is the danger of underestimating him. He is cunning, he is smart, and he's evil. Um, the words used to describe him in Scripture of being a slanderer, the, the devil, the one who seeks to deceive us, his greatest pleasure comes in our destruction and in fighting against God's plan and against goodness. And we need to be really careful not to underestimate him and how powerful he is. The other danger is overestimating him and treating him like he's a god, and he's not. We can't lose sight of God's work. We can't be seeing a devil around every corner and every shadow. And I think somewhere keeping those two truths in tension, that we can't underestimate how powerful he is, but we can't overestimate mm-hmm. even his successes and those kind of things. And I've gotten a couple other people with that same kind of suggestion. It can feel a little overwhelming or feel... I hope that through the sermon I didn't give the picture that God's somehow on his heels backpedaling or that, you know, God is now, oh, no, maybe God's yeah. going to lose or that God is fearful that Satan's going because that's not the point at all. But instead, as we look through history... Our sinfulness is so powerful in our hearts that time after time after time, man keeps failing. Mm. When he's relying on himself, when he gives in to the temptations to pursue things that are not appropriate or wouldn't be honoring to God. But what we also have to catch is as we look across the Old Testament and the New Testament and into today, um, God's plan has progressed through history just the way he intended. And one of the things that we've looked at so carefully in Matthew 1 through 4 is how Jesus is fulfilling all the Old Testament promises. He's the perfect deliverer that Moses couldn't live up to, David couldn't live up to, but the pictures through the Old Testament that he would fulfill, that he would fulfill all righteousness, the specific um, prophecies of him being born in Bethlehem, 
of him being called out of Egypt, of him being a Nazarene, um, all of those prophecies are now becoming fulfilled, which tells us that God's plan was never deterred. In spite of Satan's best efforts, in spite of everything Satan has tried to do to throw God's plan off track, at the same time, God's plan is still being fulfilled. And all of the prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus give testimony to that, that God is still powerful and God's plan is going to come to pass. It's just going to happen in his time and his way. Um, and I, part of me always, and I, I thought even this week when I was speaking, I mean, the picture that comes to mind is um, there are movies like Little Giants, Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks 2, Mighty Ducks 47, whatever. <laughs> right. But as you look at those, there's always this, you know, big game, and there's the underdogs who are small and frail, and, and then in the end, they end up winning. And there's party that's like, you know, it feels like we're in the third period and or the fourth quarter, and we're behind, and now we have to catch up and win. And maybe that part of that speaks of truth. But the other side is we're not talking about undersized athletes who never should win. The reality is in those movies, those teams would lose. They're never going to win. In this one, we see the picture all the way through Scripture of God being powerful and God being in control. And that's where even uh, someone mentioned this morning when we were talking on the preaching team that when you go to the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk's like, look at how sin is winning. And, and how, can, how can you not judge this God? And God says, I'm going to judge it. Here's the enemies that are coming to judge. And then you hear Habakkuk go, wait, they're more sinful than we are. And in the middle of that, Habakkuk has to conclude that I will trust God. And God says, I'm still here and I'm still at work. There will be a judgment for sin and righteousness will prevail. And ultimately, all of those prophecies fulfilled lead to the cross that stands at the greatest monument that God has fulfilled everything he said he would. And the resurrection affirms that that's been uh, true and complete. And we have this time now where we're living where Satan, I mean, Satan seems to still have, certainly has victories. And we look at, you know, the news reports this week, the the terror around the world, the personal tragedies that we are dealing with. And and all of those kind of things make us concerned or wonder, where is God? And yet, I think even the promises we saw and the the story of Jesus through this gives us hope and confidence that God is at work, and God really is the powerful one, and that what we look forward to in Revelation we know is going to be true because of the way he's really been working his plan all the way through. Yeah. But there is that reality to Satan's attacks. I mean, he is really attack. I mean, there are things that come up. He is lots of things to us. You know, that we have to be careful. Slanderer, he's a tempter, he's a snake, he wants our destruction, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we can't discount that he is really a powerful being. Absolutely. And that's where um, the verses that came to mind to me even today were in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, excuse me, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It just tells us that we, we tend to go through life thinking that the real battles are what we see and what we touch and what we taste. You know, the day-to-day job, the time card, the, the work, the relationships when I think what Scripture tells us is the real battles are in our hearts and with the spiritual forces that we lose sight of. 
Um, and, and so I would suggest, too, while we're thinking about that and the reality of Satan's attacks, one of the things we're going to keep seeing as we go through Matthew is that we really have to have a new set of eyes to see the world rightly. And, and that is what, what we think of as being a victory may not actually be a victory. Mm. What looks like Satan is winning may not in the end actually be a victory. And, and I think for us, we would look at God winning or righteousness winning as whether it's, you know, the right candidate wins the election, or I actually get the new car that I wanted, um, or I don't get sick, or I'm wealthy. <laughs> and the reality is we might see those things come true, but actually have lost the battle in our hearts. So we've gone after it the wrong way. We've sought contentment in the wrong things. Um, I, I just watched, just because you have a team who wins and is getting the trophy for winning doesn't mean they've actually won if they've done it by cheating, right. if they've done yes. it with the wrong attitude. And I've, I've just watched over time how we misunderstand where the real battles lie and what the real issues are. And as a result, I think we at times give credit to Satan for victories when in the end he's really lost. Mm. Um, he may have gotten someone to do what he wanted, but in the end, the victory was the person who took suffering and took it with grace and really reflected the honor of Jesus Christ by doing it. And, and as we begin the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things we're going to keep seeing is that righteousness in God's eyes is really different than the way we determine victory, being powerful, being ahead. So as the Sermon on the Mount begins, we're going to see that in many ways, we've had it wrong. Questions of who is in the kingdom of God. You know, if we picture ourselves walking down the streets in the kingdom, we'd look around and expect certain people. We'd expect the Pharisees and the Sadducees there. We'd feel like maybe we don't deserve to be in there if we don't have that kind of position or influence. And Jesus keeps saying, they're not the ones who are going to be in. In fact, it's the people you wouldn't expect. They're the outcasts who are in. What are those people like? Are they the powerful, have the greatest positions? Those would look like victories when instead... Often what we see Jesus teaching is that they've gotten there from ways that aren't righteous. And in fact, true righteousness is going to be demonstrated by hearts that are humble. And maybe it looks like they're suffering, they're outcasts, but in God's economy, they're actually victors. And that's where part of what we have to do is recognize the reality of Satan, recognize the real power of God and the continuing work of God, but also allow what we're going to see in the rest of the book maybe reframe how we understand real righteousness, real success, real victory. Um, We would never have expected that the way to victory was through the cross. And yet again, that stands as a monument to God's greatest victory. Mm -hmm. And we probably, no, we definitely have a very different take on what it means to be blessed. And that's where we're going to be led next week as we start um, chapter 5 with Jeremy preaching on blessed are who? The types of people who are blessed and what that blessing is, again, is different. And that's where it's hard because what Satan is trying to accomplish is the polar opposite of what God wants to accomplish in us and in the world. And that's why we've we've got to be sure we're measuring or, you know, assessing victory, defeat in, in the right ways as well. Yeah, our perspective really needs to be different than winning and losing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was really struck by you when you were talking about, um, you said Jesus never became desensitized to sin. And it made me think of that old adage of, you know, 
boiling a frog, you know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realize it, and the water just keeps getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and all of a sudden, well, you know, he's dead. Yeah. And I feel like that we kind of get caught up in that. We get to the point where we don't realize that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. We are becoming more and more, little by little, desensitized to what actual sin is. Yeah. And that Jesus never did that, you know. So what are some ways we can avoid those that kind of desensitizing? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I do think first, even before that too, it's really one of the things that has um, caused me to appreciate even more what Jesus went through for us. Mm-hmm. We think about his suffering on the cross. We don't think of him for over 30 years enduring living in a world where his heart broke every day because of what he saw for the effect of sin. Um, when he, the, As he's healing people, as he's teaching and correcting the false teaching, as he's trying to I mean, he's dealing with situations where brothers are at odds with each other and all of those kind of things. His heart is breaking because it's not what he designed the world to be and the life he intended for righteousness. And because he is perfectly holy, his heart would break every time he encountered that. And he endured that, living like us as human beings, so that he could be the perfect substitute. And it's just always made me really appreciate a part of that cost for him that often we don't weigh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all recognize that it's easy for us to become desensitized to sin. And, and the reality is, the longer you do something, the more you become used to it. And so it just does, you know, beg basic questions. And I think the questions are a little different for different people, even at different times. But if you have a steady diet of something, you start liking it. Mm-hmm. You start becoming yeah. more used to it. Um, be around certain types of music. Tell me you're not a classical music fan, but start listening to it and have somebody around to appreciate it and talks about it, and over time you start to listen for it. You you can finish the measure, and and that's true with about anything in, in our diet and diets for music or for entertaining. And so it's easy for us, if we have a steady diet of something, for that to become normal and then to become something we have a hunger for or a desire for. And so I think the kind of questions you ask are, you know, what are the things that you find entertaining? And are the things you're finding entertaining uh, ones that would please God or ones he'd be embarrassed by? Um, What are the kind of things you find funny? What are the things that are humorous for you? Um, You know, one of the questions I find most often today is, where do you turn for comfort when you're down and discouraged? Mm. I think that question gives some clues to where your heart is in terms of what what's desired and what you believe will really satisfy. And for all of us, if we start satisfying that desire and looking for comfort in the wrong place, you start looking for it again and again, and you build patterns, just like Paul warns in Romans 7, that we become slaves to that, and we increasingly become desensitized to sin. We have our consciences seared, if you will. Um, in the same way, if we keep a steady diet of humor and entertainment and, and other things or the way we talk to people or about people that take us away from God, we will keep building and become less and less sensitized. Our consciences become desensitized to those things. And so I think, one, just being aware of that. So you're starting to ask those questions. Um, I would strongly encourage having people around you asking similar questions. 
Um, it's one of the benefits that, you know, I've appreciated. We've been in a small group together mm-hmm. for a long yeah. time. But I think that small group experience, when you come, has people around you who have the same values and the same goals. And just hearing them talk about a struggle they've had, even if you're not speaking up about it, you're walking away going, oh, man, I've been having that struggle. Or they're going, oh, this has been hard for me, and I've been working on this. And you go, well, I haven't dealt with that for a while. And when you find a place where you have people with the same heart pushing you that way, um, I think, honestly, the danger zone that many of us face is when you just stop asking the questions. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And I feel like even in the season of COVID and everything, mm-hmm. that was a hard one because we didn't get to meet together with people as yeah. often and have that accountability and have those people asking those questions and sharing those struggles. You had kind of had to police yourself, yeah. you know, yeah. on a lot of that. So Yeah, and we need that kind of help and community and reminders and encouragement. And, and you know the times when you kind of don't want to be around someone because you know they're going to ask you where your soul is and how you're doing spiritually, or you hope yeah. they don't. As soon as you go, oh, I hope they don't ask about this, or I hope this doesn't come up, those are all helpful clues mm-hmm. that we're allowing things in our lives that are taking us away from God instead of towards God. And the reality that we've seen from all this is Satan will take those times and turn them you know, against us and keep using them. Um, and so I, I just think it becomes a constant need for us to be checking our hearts and having people around us. And that's part of why we come back to the Word of God and we listen to sermons together. We challenge each other in church. We become part of classes. It's, it's to be at the place where we're hearing God's Word and those reminders and being around people who have the same heart of saying, I want to be growing in righteous living and following God's design more for my life and try to model my life after Jesus, imitating righteousness um, rather than the ways sin can tend to take hold and pull us back. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's good. Well, you were talking about, early on you're talking about not understanding what, you know, the stones into bread and some of those temptations meant and getting at the crux of the matter that it was really about trusting God's plan and what God had, what his plan was going to unfold for Jesus. And so one of the things you said in that trusting part was learning to live with legitimate but unmet desires. So for me... You know, as a single woman, been single for all of my life. I'm 52 years old, and that's pretty much my. You summarized my life in about you know six words there, um, and b- living with those unmet desires. They're legitimate. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with wanting to get married or wanting to have had a family or mm-hmm. you know somebody to have companionship or those things aren't wrong or bad, but they're unmet at this point in my life. Right. And but still trusting that God has a plan. And sometimes I wonder, what am I trusting for? Am I trusting that it'll make me content? Am I trusting that his plan is good, that eventually I'm going to get them? Like, you know, where does that trust be, I guess, focused? Where do you focus that trust? What is, you know? Yeah, and and it's a real challenge. And and the reality is um, we all have those kind of hopes for life Mm -hmm. and those kind of desires kind of built into us. I at times have an exercise with students where when we're talking and they're, you know, 20 to 22, and I say, okay, you're going to close your eyes and you're going to picture your life in 20 years and describe it. And and there's common themes, okay? They're typically married. They have a certain number of children. Those children are healthy. They have a nice home that's at least well on the way to paying it off. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they have a steady job and a ministry. 
Um, you know, you start listing those kind of things, and those are just kind of natural desires that come. There's two challenges that come. Often, we get so focused on those desires that when they come, they don't offer everything they promised. <laughs> right? So yeah, that's true. <laughs> we, we see people who step into marriage, and marriage isn't what they had hoped it would be. It becomes a heartbreak. Um, they have children, and children become a heartbreak, or the struggles they have. Um, things don't work out. They, they work out the way they plan, but then you go, this is all there is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or God, in his timing and his wisdom and his plan, those things aren't provided. And so whether it's not being married or being married and then not having children or the loss of a job or health issues and chronic health issues, that as we go, mm-hmm. there may be that. And I think here what... What the suggestion is, is the need to focus on God rather than on those specific desires. And the reality that we can get so focused on the things that we want that we can lose sight of the God who gave them. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I heard uh, a Christian counselor many years ago um, distinguish the difference between desires and goals. Okay. And it's it's been helpful for me to distinguish that where he said, you know, the... The danger is if you try to take desires and make them goals, desires are things that you can't control. I can desire that you like me. I can desire that this person treats me a certain way. I can desire that I get this job, but I can't ultimately control that. And goals are things that I can't actually have control over. And what I can do, and he says, the danger is when you get those mixed that you hang everything on your desires for a relationship, as you mentioned, or for a job or health or other things that are out of your control. And then when they don't come, there's massive disappointment. You feel like a failure or you feel like God's a failure or God doesn't care or whatever versus saying, I can't control that outcome, but the goal I can control is being the right kind of person. I I can put in control that I need to respond kindly and gently to be the right kind of person as a single that if I did come to another person pursuing righteousness and following Jesus, that I would be the right kind of person for them. I can't control if my boss is going to give me the evaluation I want, but I can be faithful and diligent at work. Um, I can't control if I'm going to suffer because somebody cheats me, but I can control whether or not I'm honest. I can control whether I forgive. And, and I think in the same way here, uh, part of the issue you're talking about is separating out those desires that are very legitimate from that being the object of affection, and that's what I'm after, versus ultimately the ultimate goal, the true object is to know God yeah. and to follow God and to be the kind of person he wants me to be. Mm-hmm. And I just find that distinction has helped me so that I can't control all of those things that if in God's timing there's not going to be marriage or kids or a house or those kind of things. But I can trust God to help me be a generous person who's content and who is living in a way which seeks to serve others and learns to actually value and enjoy life, the life that he's given for me. And I think that becomes the issue. So that in many ways we are learning to trust in him rather than trusting in the things we'd get from him. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, and I do think that that's where um, you, okay, I'm going to look ahead on the cheat sheet because yeah. you, you've got <laughs> one of your next questions is expanding on that idea of, so I'll be a Christian if, 
And I think ultimately that question of whether our satisfaction in life, our joys in life are based in the things we get from God versus in God himself. And the risk of that, I heard one person describe it once that we're like little children who are grabbing pennies out of the Father's hand but never looking into the Father's face. Mm. And that whole idea that has struck me so much, it just becomes repeated through that story of Israel that we talked about. God provided. God showed up in ways that we look at now and read the story and are amazed at his power and at the miracles. And it kept him happy for about six seconds. <laughs> Why? Because they were so focused on the object of their desires and what they wanted from him that they never looked at God. And as a result, they never became the kind of people that he wanted them to be. They failed for all of the call they had from the lessons that they learned. So they didn't listen, they didn't learn, they didn't follow him. And they ended up living lives where they were constantly complaining and constantly whining that those stories of bitterness, the stories of grumbling, they kept coming back and even places named over their grumbling um, because they were never happy. And, and you just know as we go through life, and we've watched this with little kids, but we know it's true in our own hearts. The reality is if we're a whiner before we get things, we're going to be whiners after we get them. Right. Yes. Absolutely 100% true. <laughs> because the focus is so much on those things, and once we get them, those things never really fully satisfied. They were never intended to, and so we're on to the next thing. And I think for me, you do hear occasionally stories of people who talk about being on their deathbed or their spouse is on their deathbed saying, if you spare them, God, then I'll give you my life. Or kind of the foxhole yeah, in right. war stories. God, if you get me out of this, then I will serve you with my life. And many of us would say, well, I would never you know, put God to the test that way, um, though I think sometimes we do. But I do think the same thing is happening if we look at people or our own hearts where we're following God, but then things don't go the way we want. And so we're following God, and, and I've seen this before, where, um, and I, I'll share one of the stories that one of your friends shared when a group of singles came and talked to my class once, when they talked about the day when they turned 30 and were still single, and they took off their purity ring. And they said, it's not because I'm giving up on purity. They were still committed to purity and following God, but they said, what had happened in my heart is I had turned that ring into a contract with God. I'll do the right things, I'll be the right kind of person so that you will give me this. And then when they weren't getting it, they were suddenly getting frustrated with God instead of saying, I will trust you. Um, it's the student after you talked in one of those classes who a couple weeks later said, what I keep realizing is I have to not be saying when I get married, but saying if I get married. And I think we can turn those desires, those objects, into our real focus of worship. And then if there's not marriage, or if there's not kids, or if there's not the job we wanted, or the income isn't at the level we wanted, or people aren't treating us the way we want, or the church doesn't give us what we want out of it, we then bail mm -hmm. and give up on it, or give up on church, or give up on God. In the end, what we're really saying is, I will follow you if you give me these things. And so those times of doing without, when in Deuteronomy, as we read, it was to teach them the lesson that man doesn't live by bread alone. But also, we read right before that, God led them into the wilderness so they would be humbled to test what was in their hearts. And that's where those times of testing become very difficult um, and hard, but they also are 
um, a crucible, if you will, or a, a, a true test to tell what's really inside. And when inside, what comes out is frustration and anger and whining and wanting to turn away from God. It shows that we had focused on that desire inappropriately. And there are times where in the goodness of God, he will keep those things from us so that we won't be worshiping something that's not a God. Yeah. And that's where there's times where it reveals what's in our hearts. It brings um, to us, I think, a different level of faith. Um, and, and as we then go through life, God's plan is what's best. And I think that's what Jesus is demonstrating through each of these three commandments. God's plan is best even if it means doing without what I would think would be the things that would satisfy my heart. And at the same time, God's plan is best um, without him having to prove it to me. And God's way is best even if it means the path that gets there is hard or at times there's suffering. And I think those are the lessons that would push us to say, I've got to be careful not to bargain with God, but to try and follow him and seek him rather than seeking the things that I would want him to give me. I think in the end, it you know, I kept thinking through you talking about, you know, the Israelites would get this thing and then, oh, well, I'm done with that. Now I want something else. And they'd attain and then whine and then attain and then whine. And, and you know, I don't want that to be what my life is about. I don't, you know, and I don't think anybody wants that. So I think I don't want to be an Israelite that doesn't learn the lesson of trusting in God. And mm-hmm. So just some practical, as we close, just some practical ways to make sure that we're not being an Israelite and not learning the lesson of trust, that we're trusting in the right things. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to acknowledge um, it's hard and it's a challenge for us. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not talking about here about sinful desires, we're not saying, I want to commit murder and get away with it, right. or I want to rob a bank and be yeah. done, you know, those kind of things. We're talking about desires that are legitimate. And when God satisfies those desires in his time, it can really honor God, whether that's marriage or children or jobs um, or even a good meal. <laughs> it's yeah. a gift of God that we can enjoy and honor him with. And so I think we need to, At the same time, we recognize sometimes those desires are unmet, and that's God's plan. We also have to recognize there's times where he does satisfy those desires. And learning to find joy in those moments and actually honor God with it so that it is not simply, look what I have and focused on myself and what I get, but instead, look what God has given me and even honor him by our response to that with gratitude and humility um, and those kind of things. I'm, I'm struck by the, the ten lepers that Jesus encountered, and he heals them as they leave, and only one comes back. <laughs> and you think about that. They, were, they wanted health. They wanted to be accepted in the community, all of the kind of things they would have longed for. And when it was finally provided for them, nine of them left without even saying thank you or praising God for it. <laughs> yeah, which again gives you know, uh, the odds and the, the likelihood that we would tend to do that. So I think part of it is learning to say thank you and give God the credit when we do receive things from him and enjoy them as gifts, mm-hmm. but keep them in the right place. Um, I think somehow the, the more we can recognize that God's leading us even through hard times can be very helpful. 
It's, it is in, when you come to Romans chapter 5, let me just read a couple verses there from verse 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that is when we go through those difficult times or those times without and we hang in there and with the support of the community and guidance of God's word, the power of his spirit, we stay faithful, that builds confidence within us that God is at work in us. And it develops the kind of character that continue moving forward for him, and that builds a hope that God is at work. And that's where we can say we can talk about the challenges around us and the temptations, but when we stay faithful, it's God's hand, it's God's work, and that gives us hope that the one who has been working that way is going to completely fulfill his plan in us here on this earth and in the future. And I would say one other thing that I would mention, there's a whole lot we could talk about, but I think one other that I've thought about quite a bit is that we need to be careful to pray the right way. Mm. I think real often we pray for a specific outcome. God, heal this person. God, give me this job. God, make this relationship work. And we get so focused on him answering the prayer the way we want that there may be times where God is at work, but we're not even open to it and we don't see it. Or we feel like God hasn't answered our prayers when really he has. We just didn't like his answer. <laughs> and and so when we went through James recently and heard him say, you know, don't speak with this confidence that you can take care of life yourself, but instead say, if the Lord wills. And, you know, I think at times to be praying for situations and saying, God, here's what is the desire of my heart. Be honest with that. Mm-hmm. Put it in front of God and say, God, I long for this. This desire is there. And I... I would love if you would satisfy that desire, but whatever you do, please work your will in my heart. Whatever happens, whether you provide it or not, help me to trust you more. Let your name be known through the way I respond to it. Please show up in ways where everybody knows it's you and your work and me and in the situation, not me. And when we're praying for God's work and for God's hand and for God's name to be honored, that keeps the focus on him instead of the things. And yet we're still being honest with God. It's not like we have to ignore those or act like they don't exist. And, and I think the more we do that, uh, we, we found this once where um, we were looking for a house. In the Cedarville community, it wasn't always easy to find a house. When we were moving here, it was a major challenge. And we had in our minds, you know, a couple places we'd like to be. But really working to discipline ourselves in those months and a year as we shopped and looked for a home and tried to find a place to live to keep praying, God... This is what seems to be on my heart. This, this land or this house looks like it would really be good for us. But please, whatever happens, you put us the place you want us to be. Put us in the place that's going to be the best refuge for our family. Put us in the place that we can use for ministry. Put us in the place where you can use that, even that family time, to strengthen us so we can serve you better. And in doing that, I think it, it helped push us to say, let's not get so focused on some specific outcome we want from God that we say this will satisfy our desires. And when God may have something different, God may have something that we finally look at and go is much greater than we expected or something unique or a time of going without where he's teaching us really much more important lessons to keep praying in ways that put his will and his name first 
is just one of the really important things as we're, we're wrestling with these issues to make sure we're keeping our priorities in the right place. And I think that will help us over time learn those lessons. And then according to Romans, the more we do that and stay faithful to God, the more it builds character that keeps us leaning into him, which gives us more hope. So that it becomes this step-by-step continuing way we try to build these patterns or these attitudes in our life. Yeah, that's, that's so good. I think that keeps us from being Israelites in a big, big way. And I know that's kind of been, because I've, you know, lived with this desire of having a family and didn't actually get one, you know, I think I prayed, okay, so Lord, fulfill that desire in a different way. What are some other ways that I could still have a family, but not, you know, not be married and not have my own kids when, you know, so the Lord gave me a church family. That's amazing. And the Lord gave me, you know, a hundred plus kids every year that I get to influence Mm -hmm. through my job. And I think if we can look differently at how we're getting our mm. desires met or those kind of things, you yeah. know, God, <laughs> God's not so narrow in his focus of mm-hmm. how he's going to meet those things that we asked for. So, And along the way, God then has used you to be a voice into people's lives that you may have missed otherwise. Absolutely. That. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that I got to do or accomplish or people I got to meet mm-hmm. that may not have been that if I had gone what I thought. I wanted to do. So, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes our desires should really be goals. (laughs) And, you know, we need to focus more on what's God going to do through us rather than Mm -hmm. getting what we want. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I've been talking with Tom Hutchison today on Digging Deeper in Grace. You can access Hutch's recent sermon in video and audio formats by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We invite you to join us next week as we have a special podcast because our next Sunday service is more focused on a family uh, service, oriented service, looking at our new members. So our podcast will be a little bit different. So we hope you'll join us for that. And then the next week we'll continue our study in Matthew. Until then, I'm your host, Lindell Rising, thanking you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.